with a word of prayer this morning and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day to gather together as a body of believers to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your word where you reveal yourself to us and without which we would be completely hopeless in this world and helpless to understand you and your purpose in this world and the incredible things that you have done for us in the past, what you're doing for us now, and what you will do for us in the future. I just pray that the, the truth that we gain from your word would motivate us to live for you and to uh, carry out your purpose in our lives. We thank you for the salvation that we have through faith in Christ, and I just pray that uh, we would conform ourselves to what we learned this morning, and we just pray for your will to be done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, and you'll just have to glance at the screen when it's on and, and try to get the, the gist. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 this morning as we continue our study of this really, uh, truly incredible book of the Bible that is so uh, relevant to us today, has such uh, applicability to uh, not just some of our lives, but every one of us. Uh, that's another thing that um, the Bible in general is kind of fascinating in that regard. You know, it doesn't just apply to Middle Eastern people. It doesn't just apply to a specific race or specific country or even a specific time period. It relates and is applicable to all of us as human beings wherever we live and whenever we live. And nowhere is that more evident than in the book of Proverbs. And so today in Proverbs three twenty-seven through 28, we will continue our study of how to live for the Lord, and in this case, it is to be generous. Generosity is uh, a trait that we all ought to strive for. You know, we all have, uh, as believers, we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we all have different kinds of gifts. Um, generosity is something that we should all strive for. And hopefully we come away today understanding that generosity doesn't just mean with our money, but there's there are several aspects to being a generous person. And it is important for us it, to live that way as it is uh, essentially it's Christ-likeness. But I don't want to give everything away in the first couple minutes. So... <laughs> How to live for the Lord, 10 keys for contentment. That's what Proverbs chapter 3 is all about. We need to have uh, God's word in our hearts. Uh, it is the way that we are sanctified. It is the truth, as Christ said. And so this is, this is our, essentially as believers, this is our only hope to be sanctified is in God's Word and having it uh, affect us. 
in our in our thinking primarily and then our thinking transitioning into our actions is eventually we're going to do what we think and that's just kind of that is applicable across across the board um any kind of activity uh that we engage in flying airplanes for example that's what i do for a living and it is incumbent upon a person who wants to learn how to fly you have to first engage in academic activity you have to learn and understand uh flying in general and your airplane in particular and all of these things have to become part of your thinking and then when you start actually flying the airplane the various procedures that you go through just i can remember as a as a flight student uh in the navy and these that is all i thought about for two years probably is going these uh various procedures and emergency procedures and just regular things just flowing through your mind all the time and it just kind of becomes uh it becomes rote after a while it absolutely is uh, even today especially today uh flying in the airlines we're uh, doing checklists all the time and you that we have there in a card up on our kind of our dashboard if you will and you pull out the card at various times when you're supposed to be doing these checklists you don't even have to do it you, <laughs> you do but you don't have to everything is memorized it's completely rote it just happens because it is become such a part of of who we are as pilots and this is the same thing with God's word if we are continually ruminating over God's word and the things that he has done for us the things that he wants us to do they just it just flows out of who we are and so that's what it means to internalize God's word and a large part of that is trusting in the Lord of course having no confidence in yourself understanding who God is who we are that is the fear of the lord essentially that is the basis for for knowledge and therefore the basis for wisdom uh which is what proverbs is all about wise living taking knowledge and applying it to your life that's what wisdom essentially is and we uh saw honoring the lord with our money growing under the lord's discipline seeking wisdom and knowledge seek as jesus put it seek his kingdom first and uh he will add these things to us that's same idea here in the proverbs and last time we looked at knowing that the lord is with us having that understanding that he is continually with us wherever we go whatever we're engaged in which brings us to not the underlined one but Proverbs 3:27 being generous Proverbs 3:27 says do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it do not say to your neighbor go and come back and tomorrow i will give it uh that that phrase do not withhold good there is based on the hebrew word tov you've probably uh heard of that whether you know it or not the the uh the phrase mazel tov i don't know if you're 
familiar with that, kind of a Hebrew phrase, a Yiddish phrase that means good luck, uh, to give it at least kind of an English translation. It's kind of a different, it's different than good luck. You know, we're, uh, we would use that phrase to somebody going off to a job interview or something like that. Oh, good luck at your job interview. They, uh, it's more of a phrase that is directed towards people. They say it at weddings, for example. Mazel tov. Well, good luck to you in your wedding if you just made a purchase of a piece of land or something like that. Oh, good luck with your land. Mazel tov. You know, benefit from this is what is what that phrase uh, actually means. And so the the term tov is. Uh, can be translated as pleasant or favor, a good thing, welfare to somebody, some sort of benefit to a person. So here, uh, do not withhold something good from people when it's within your power to do it. That's uh, that's what the uh, uh, implication is. At any rate, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Literally from its owners is what that uh, phrase actually means. To those to whom it is due. It is to the ones who own it. So they already have the benefit in a way, and it is up to you to implement it to this person. It is theirs, and if you don't give it to them, you're withholding it, essentially, is what is what uh, Solomon is trying to get across. And it's very much like Philippians 2. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So uh, pretty much... Like the entirety of the New Testament, there isn't a lot of new material in the New Testament. What there is, is expansion on what's in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. We're getting more information. So when Paul says this in Philippians 2, he's really hearkening back to what Solomon said about a thousand years before Paul wrote it. And it it is this idea of putting others ahead of yourself. Be generous to them. Don't withhold good things, benefits from the people uh, around you when it is uh, within your power to do it. And do not put it off. Uh, Do not, verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it. And this is, this is something that was very much directed uh, towards the nation of Israel. After all, the book of Proverbs, have, as we've seen in other places, it becomes very obvious that it is written to Israelites. And this was something, this is the kind of command that would have been known to them or that they would have been familiar with this idea of not saying to your neighbor go and tomorrow I will give it because after all it's right in their law Leviticus 19 and verse 13 
says, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. So the, the practice again in Deuteronomy 24, 15, the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, Moses, Leviticus was to the first generation that came out of Egypt. Deuteronomy, second giving of the law given by Moses to the people, the second generation before they went into the promised land. Deuteronomy 24, 15. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry against you to the Lord and it become sin to you. So this is speaking to uh, the nation of Israel was very much a, an agrarian society. And so people would, uh, landowners would go out to look for laborers to work in the fields for the day. And they would, uh, the, the laborers would meet in a, in a place. They would go find them, take them back to their property, and they'd work in the fields. And then they were expected to be paid at the end of the day. So there wasn't like, you know, we, you probably, uh, if you're still working, you get paid a couple times a month or maybe every week. Uh, no, it wasn't like that. You get your money at the end of the day. And two different times in Israel's law, it tells the landowners or the business owners, pay your people on time, before the sun sets. Make sure that you do it. Uh, same thing here in the Proverbs. Solomon saying, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. Uh, and of course, this is a command. These uh, particularly Leviticus and Deuteronomy commands to the nation of Israel and we could say, oh, you know, wow, that's Israel's law. It doesn't really apply to me. I don't need to worry about this. Uh, and it is true. We are not under the law as Christians. Uh, under the law means to be held to its standard and the punishments that go along with it. Um, it is impossible for us biblically to be under the law as it was given specifically to the nation of Israel, not, not to us. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 20. Among uh, That's where it was in, in installed anyway. Uh, you can read about it in a myriad of other places. Nevertheless, just because we are not under the law, which was, for one thing, to just to add on to it, a means of testing for the nation of Israel. If they obeyed the law, they could stay in the land and be blessed and enjoy all of the blessings. If they disobey the law, they will be dispersed from the land. Uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with the church today and church age believers. We don't have any sort of uh, command to us in that regard. The closest would be to obey and stay in fellowship or disobey and be dispersed from fellowship with the Lord. But we could get the fellowship back if we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can 
maintain fellowship with the Lord in that regard. But we are not a nation and we do not have a promised land and, and everything else that goes along with uh, the law. However, it doesn't mean that, these, uh, that there isn't a secondary application to us as believers for these kinds of, these kinds of commands that we see, particularly when they're re- repeated in a book like Proverbs. So we ought to help when the opportunity is there before you. Don't, uh, you know, and guess what? It's never going to be convenient. Uh, your neighbor or whoever it is, you know, you're just sitting around thinking, oh man, I wish I had something to do. And lo and behold, your neighbor comes and knocks on the door. Hey, this tree just blew down in my yard. Can you come help me clean it up? Fantastic. Yes, I was just dreaming of something to do. That's not normally the way it works. Typically, it's kind of uh, an inconvenient time. You're doing something else. You have something else on your agenda, and these opportunities come up. This is telling us, do it. If it's within your power to do it, do it when the opportunity is there. Much like what James says to uh, his audience in James chapter 2, one of our uh, supposedly doesn't need to be, but is uh, one of the more complicated passages in the Bible. And it's complicated by people not understanding the context. James is definitely writing to Christians. He's writing to believers, writing to people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And so people who are familiar with what John portrays in his gospel, trust in Christ, have everlasting life, period. So they have this understanding. Now, how do we live in the meantime? That's what James is really all about. And so when we come to James 2.14, we have to understand that. We don't just, uh, it doesn't behoove us to jump right into James chapter 2 and base all of our doctrine and our understanding of salvation on James chapter 2 when, well, James chapter 2 isn't James chapter 1. So there are some other things that come before that even within that book, let alone other parts of the Bible that tell us how to be saved. So James says in James 2:14, what use is it my brethren if someone says he has faith but he has no works? What use is it? Very key phrase there. Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith is that faith a sanctifying faith is what James is saying there. Uh, if you have a if you have faith in Christ, but you're not living a sanctified life, what sort of, what kind of use is that? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it. This person that James is referencing here has an immediate need. They do not have uh, clothes for the day, and they are in need of daily food. 
And verse 16, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? What use is it to that other person, to your testimony as a Christian, if there's someone in your church, in your fellowship, who needs food and clothing today before they go back home after the church service and you say, ah, you know, be warm, be fed, off you go. That is of absolutely no use to that person or to your testimony to, to the greater uh, community, if you will, the people outside of the church. What if we had people here who were uh, needed clothes and food and, they, and we just send them off out of here, uh, not clothed and not fed, and other people from the community see them leaving the church building and they're in tears or whatever the situation may be because we've been so mean to them. That's not a great testimony. What use is that sort of faith that isn't affecting your actions? That's what James' question is. Faith separated from its purpose. That's that's the question that James is addressing there. The, the purpose of your faith is uh, for you to have eternal life, of course, but it is also, in the meantime, to affect those around you in a positive way. That's what, that's, that's what the majority of our Bible is about, actually. Maybe somebody... Uh, ought to do a study sometime on how many verses in the Bible actually have to do with the gaining of eternal life versus how many verses in our Bibles have to do with what we ought to do as a result of being saved. I guarantee you that, that the scale is tipped very heavily to how we should then live. Uh, yes, it tells us how to be saved and Absolutely, yes, it tells us how to live in the meantime. And books like the book of James are dedicated to that. Oh, the book of Proverbs. <laughs> There's 31 chapters dedicated to telling you how to therefore live because you have put your faith in Christ. And one way that we ought to be being sanctified is helping people when we have the opportunity to do it. And so being generous, again, does not just have to do with your treasure. It has to do with your time, your talents, and your treasure. It's certainly, generosity is certainly not just limited to how much money you put in the giving box. By definition, that word tov, by definition, uh, none, <laughs> you'll notice none of these definitions say money or you know, make a reference to shekels or that, that kind of thing. No, it's uh, essentially doing good for people when you have the opportunity to do it. Um, God doesn't save us just so that we can now be miserable about how bad the world is. That, that, is, a, that is a very big mistake that is very easy to fall into. <laughs> that is not God's purpose in saving us. Basically, he, wants to, he saves us so that we can help other people and we can be a witness for the Lord. And that's 
uh, right up here. It's, there we go. Christ's likeness. You got to be quick. Christ's likeness is the goal. Christ likeness is the goal. We need to be generous with our time for people. And part of that comes down to prayer is one way to look at it that you don't, maybe, maybe we don't think of. But praying for people when they have a need is doing something good for them. That is uh, an activity that the Lord engaged in an awful lot, by the way. Of course, Luke six twelve. It was at this time that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And so what was he praying about? Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to guess it's the people, the apostles, uh, perhaps himself, you know, any number of things. But a lot of, a lot of that time in prayer, I would guess, was dedicated to uh, other people. Paul says much the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, should we uh, be saved and then be miserable about how terrible the world is? No. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Everybody wants to know God's will for us. God's will is that we rejoice always, that we pray without ceasing in everything that we give thanks. So when you're feeding the chickens in the morning and you crash your head on the roof of the uh, chicken coop, you, you know, it doesn't mean you have to rejoice over it, but you probably ought not to throw a temper tantrum uh, <laughs> and get upset and have it ruin your whole day. No, we ought to be rejoicing always praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We struggle with that a lot. We want, uh, we want God's will to be revealed to us in, in every minor detail of our lives. And it would seem from the scriptures that God's will is kind of more general which doesn't make it any less important. You get these things right, the things where God's will is specifically revealed to you, another one from Thessalonians that speaks of God's will as our, our sexual purity. That's a big one in the Bible for all of us, young men, old men, men mostly in particular. You get that one right, and other things you're going to find, well, they'll start to fall in line for you. Uh, the, the little picture. Get the big picture under control, rejoicing always, being thankful, praying for people without ceasing, being sexually pure, and you'll begin to notice the smaller, minute details fall into line. Rejoice or uh, be generous with your talents. We all have a talent as believers. Whether you know it or not, you have a talent and it's given to you by the Lord. And that, doesn't, uh, that sort of talent doesn't necessarily mean you can run a 5K in 18 minutes or something along those lines. You have a spiritual gift that Christ has given to you and if you don't, you're not a Christian. 
Romans 8, 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed, or if as is the fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says it there like three times. The spirit of Christ dwells within you as a believer and he gives you gifts to serve him. Because of that, we learned about that in Colossians. Uh, it's very much uh, like the Roman generals Paul is referencing there. They go out, win a great battle, and then they would disperse gifts to the people who are with him. God does kind of similar thing. Christ won an incredible victory for us on the cross, so he dispenses gifts to his followers to those who believe in him and we ought to exercise the gifts that he gives to us paul romans 12 6 since we have gifts statement of fact there since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us each of us is to exercise them accordingly and then he lists several of the spiritual gifts that we ought to be using for others that's being generous with your talent so if you have a talent for uh being generous with your money that's one of the spiritual gifts and a, a brother in the church comes to you with a need and you have the ability to do it you ought to help that person uh particularly within the church body uh speaking of which be generous with your treasure. There are a number of other uh, spiritual gifts, obviously, besides uh, being generous with your money. Teaching is a gift. You know, uh, administration. There's several different gifts. Use them when you have the opportunity. And also, of course, generosity does entail your money. And we ought to be giving uh, based on or motivated by what Christ has done for us. After all, he purchased us with his shed blood. He made paid the ultimate price for us. Therefore, we ought to be willing to help in the work that is on the earth for us to do. Uh, Matthew thirteen forty four. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And then he finds the pearl of great price and he buys it, Jesus says. Uh, kind of in that parable indicating that uh, Jewish and Gentile people will be purchased by the Lord so that they can enter into the kingdom, and so we ought to be uh, generous in our giving, doing it cheerfully, not under compulsion, not under a requirement that we are getting from Israel's law, but rather as the as the Lord has put upon our heart. Second Corinthians nine seven. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, 
not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Sought to be something that is done regularly, according to 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. There, there is so much information in that one little verse. And we won't take the time to do it, but there's uh, one thing. Paul wanted no part in a collection, wanted no part in people thinking that he is uh, somehow doing this for money, so he wanted the collection taken ahead of time. Uh, he wanted it done on a Sunday, which implies the church was meeting on a Sunday. He wanted it done every week, so that means that people are coming to church every week, because <laughs> that's what Christians do. And so with that, thank you for your attention. Thank you for being here today, and we will take a break. But let's have a word of prayer first. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs, this ancient text that is still so perfectly relevant to us today in the 21st century. I just pray that your word would shape us and mold us and conform us to your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.